This is episode number 23, and you are listening to the smooth sounds of me, MRB, and this is my partner, AQ. <laughs> You've been listening to a little bit of... The Quiet uh, Storm. The Quiet Storm. <laughs> the Cloud. You've been listening to uh, The Charade by D'Angelo and the Vanguard, which I chose to play today because I recently saw him live here in D.C., and uh, it was off the hook amazing. Definitely go see him if he comes to your area. It's a full on show lots of songs from lots of different type uh, points in his career and uh, backup singers and who dance in syn- in synchronization with each other and horn players and it was dope it was a really good time so i wanted to relive that a little bit so i chose that tune uh how you doing today aaron i'm doing great yeah it's it's been rainy and now it's finally sunny here so enjoying enjoying a sunny friday and excited to do some grilling this coming weekend for Independence Day, so that should be fun. Nice. It's Friday, July 3rd, 2015. I'm going down to the farm. We're going to light the wood-burning oven. I'm going to make some bread and some probably some nice. like Leahy-style pizza. Be a good nice. time. Blow some shit up. Should be, yeah. should be dope. In Ulster County, where I live, fireworks are legal for the week, just for this week. So uh, we'll get some crazy something and you know celebrate america american style you know loudly <laughs> loudly exactly. with loud out, with loudness shit out of our kids that's that's the plan i want to get my <laughs> voice loudened um <laughs> yeah my son my son loves fireworks which is cool because he's born on july 5th so it makes sense yeah happy birthday asa too he's a little firecracker himself <laughs> So what's on our agenda today? Which, what are we chatting about? So yeah, so we were, we were, we were talking, thinking about this concept of, of like free art and free work. And uh, MRB had pointed me to this article that, he, that was on Jacob and Mag about, uh, about how artists can't support themselves working for free. I mean, do you want to summarize it a little better than I can? The idea is that if successive generations have less access to being artists by trade then the domain of making art and producing culture will really be uh, only accessible to those of means uh, or those that are willing to like you know suffer physically uh, to make their art happen and that's problematic for a number of reasons and there are a lot of interesting ways in which technology, 21st century uh, technology, uh, impacts people's ability to distribute culture for money. So these ideas come up a lot in our circles um, with respect to free music and free software. And uh, it's always nice to try to take a step back and look at the impact uh, that our consumption habits have on, you know, culture in general and you know to to reflect on your own perspectives on you know like what 
it's just interesting, like what people are willing to pay for, what culture expects you to do for free, uh, who profits off of that, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting because also that kind of ties into this whole myth of the artist thing too that we've talked about before, like that there is this there's this cultural expectation that artists do suffer in some way for their work and that there is like this image of an artist uh, uh, the image of the painter is like picasso and you know the image of him in like some shitty paris apartment smoking cigarettes like throwing paint on the wall or whatever and a lot of the people who are the most successful artists in his time and in our time too didn't they might have suffered a little bit but didn't really gain if they gained that success during their lives often it was because of some you know patron or some outside force that helped them do that and i think that's probably the same now too i actually just um there's a there's this awesome documentary that just came out about nina simone that i watched this week uh it's like netflix produced it which they're doing an amazing job producing some of these documentaries i mean i'm sure it's I don't know how much, how much, how much. Uh, speaking of patrons supporting art, who knows uh, how much impact they have on a- the actual content of these documentaries? But they definitely are helping distribute them. But yeah, it was really interesting thinking about her life too. And she's another woman who came kind of out of poverty in the South, but made an amazing career, and then struggled a lot with a lot of different hardships throughout her life. But we kind of have an image of her and of her music as like of being one of coming out of i'd say suffering and the quote from this article that i thought was good is that or i mean what kind of sums it up it says artists are expected to reinvent themselves turn to crowdfunding and hustle their ways out of their predicaments but we cannot crowdfund our way to broad public support for culture or to more sustainable approaches to cultural production We need to move from narrating individual struggles to discussing community-wide challenges and collective solutions. So it's like the idea is that romanticizing the individual struggling artist is the uh, the carrot for the stick kind of thing, right? So that the, the issue is that there's no, like, people as, like, a habit don't just, they don't support art, right? It's not like the problem isn't that the artist is starving, I mean that's the that's the that's the outcome, but there's there's a structural aspect to it where uh, you know, and I'm not a, I'm hardly a historical expert in this or like a labor expert or anything like that, but I but it's it's a provocative point that art patronage uh, isn't you know it, it's not a it's not a cultural value that Americans have, and that is a a really big problem. Since moving to the suburbs, actually, it's been really interesting for me, like actually how I mean, I, I live in a uh, I live in a, a, a relatively rich state. Maryland is like a very you know well off state and has a lot of funding for for public arts and all these other kinds of things. Like the amount of stuff here that's like accessible and free is amazing. And it's like it's I feel so blessed to have access to it. Like the other day I took my kids on the metro like you know we we went to the metro took the metro cost me five dollars round trip they don't have to pay to go on the metro we go to an art museum and two sculpture gardens that were free you know and then like i came back and like fed them grilled cheese for lunch and that was like you know the whole day was like a five dollar you know weekend day (laughs) you know and that's just saying it's just incredible what's available to us and that's like the 
problem is that like that's going to go away, right? Like museums are already like selling parts of their collection to be able to sustain themselves and, and there's all these big problems and anyway it's just interesting because we see it from the culture side as like people but uh, we were Aaron and I were kind of interested in talking about the intersection between that uh, and software the way people use software and the way companies rely on open source software and the way that open source maintainers are expected to provide free labor and uh, you know uh, are accused of being selfish when they ask for not even for remediation but for like basic respect regarding you know other people's ability to not like be loud and offensive and the idea that like a code of conduct for a community of programmers is controversial is just ridiculous, right? Like, you know, you have a code well, of I conduct. Well, I mean, the idea, the idea that it's necessary, I mean, I, I completely understand and believe and respect that it's necessary, but the idea that it's necessary and the idea that we can't as human beings like trust each other is like I mean, a I like that's problem. a thing. That's a, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's an interesting, I, like, I kind of, I've been thinking about this and I kind of, of someone that I know like tweeted something like that re recently and I was thinking about it. I was like, is it really that unfortunate? It's really like, it's just kind of the reality of the dislocation that happens because of the internet, right? It's yeah. like if, if a community is willing to like get together, I mean, if they, if they're forced to do it under duress and the only reason why they're doing it is because if they don't, they'll be harassed and that's bad. Like that's one thing, but like in and of itself, it's, I find it, I find it kind of nice, right? It's like you're you're defining your community guidelines, right? Like you're writing it down. People don't really know how to act necessarily because of how easy it is to find things, right? It's not like yeah. you like you could just stumble on a thing and start acting like in a way that wherever you're from is like a normative behavior. And then you need correction because you don't know what this community that you're interacting with is like. So they provide you with guidelines for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't no, know. I, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's, I'm not, I guess I should be careful because I really do agree with the idea of code of conducts and, um, especially, you know, the, the, the place where it really came from was from conferences, right. And PyCon, I think was the first to really push that forward. I, I respect, and I totally agree that they're necessary because you're right. People don't, people don't know how to act and it's it's uh no i wasn't saying that you don't agree with them i know you fully support them i i'm with you i just i'm it's more like yeah no it is it's an interesting question it's just like what do you have to provide as a creator of free work or work that can be viewed and appreciated and used for free in order for the person on the other side to treat you with some aspect of respect or treat the other people who use the software or the artwork or whatever it is with some modicum of human decency basically you know right. it's like it's it's an interesting thing you know like this it makes me think of there's that whole you were you were uh, very interested in this discussion too i know but about richard prince and his his works at the at the um I guess it was at the uh, what was that the biennial and uh... yeah it was all over you know he he I don't I mean the most recent one I think was yeah in Venice or something yeah he he basically he took basically screenshots of Instagram 
and printed them on big, I don't even know if they were canvases, but basically like large screen grabs of Instagram and then put them in a gallery. And the idea being, you know, in, in reality, it's not that much different than, you know, the source of pop art and Andy Warhol and printing, you know, Campbell soup cans and repeated images of Marilyn Monroe. But, you know, it caused this huge amount of controversy because people were like, you got to pay artists for their work if you're going to print them and sell them and stuff like that. But it, um, yeah, it was a really interesting discussion around what what's fair use in that case i mean it's really interesting because you know the part of it that people are missing is that he's already been embroiled in a controversy regarding stealing imagery like he has been making appropriation paintings for decades and actually like got sued by a photographer who whose photo he used in a painting and this was like a really big deal and you know his painting sell for millions of dollars and he like burned it and like all of, like he's just like a you know he comments on art and commerce that's the subject of his art and has been for like a really long time so my my position was that like everyone participating in the froth over his displaying of those images is just performing Right. Like he's literally (laughs) orchestrating a performance. (laughs) Right. And that's what's so I mean, it's really it is it gets interesting when there is a question of like, okay, you know, a marginalized person posts a a picture on Instagram and then a, a rich artist prints it out and sells it. Right. And like it's just an, it's provocative on purpose, right? Of first course, of all, yeah. the first of all, you you don't own any photographs that you post to Instagram by virtue yeah. of posting them to Instagram. You, your your rights to them are erased as part of your agreeing to the terms of service. So like, and and Richard Prince also got kicked off of Instagram for posting nude photos on Instagram. Like before he started making this Instagram art, that's what was that's kind of part of what like fueled his like attack on this whole idea was that like he was posting these like the series of artworks he also like printed tweets and was selling them at a bookstore in the east village for like a hundred dollars each like a couple years ago so he that's like it's the medium you know for sure i don't i don't think that he's always right he's obviously kind of an asshole but i mean it's very it's very interesting i think yeah you brought up the point that i appreciated most about it which is that you know there's this idea that as consumers and producers of culture on these mediums like instagram and on the internet we somehow fool ourselves into believing that we own that work you know and that we have the right to not even just to sell it but that other people don't have the right to sell it like that's what's so that was that was so interesting to me about that conversation and the the hubbub about it was because literally any of those images that he took screen grabs of and sold instagram and facebook could have just taken one of them and put them on an advertisement or on a freaking t-shirt and sold it for a hundred thousand dollars if they wanted to, they can literally do anything with your work. And when you agree to participate in this, the terms of service of their thing, like that's just possible. There's something kind of disturbing about the fact that people are willing to sell their work with blindly to corporations. But as soon as like an artist 
or you know a provocateur takes them and turns them into artwork that it's somehow like this whole new wrong thing yeah, you know it's, it's a brilliant it's he's he's brilliant at that kind of commentary <laughs> yeah. so i mean he, he, there are a lot of layers to it how do these ideas manifest themselves in software like what what are the what's the what's the crossover there we we i was telling aaron that i saw it, i don't know where this phrase came from but open source is not free as in speech or free as in beer it's free as in a puppy like <laughs> here i have a puppy that's what like <laughs> that's what you know that's kind of what it's like so so that's one aspect of it but as what a are, consumer as a consumer as a consumer person. right yeah uh so what's your what's your what's your take on that how does how does that play in and, wh- and what's your opinion about people making money on open source and and that kind of thing too i guess that's kind of like where the crossover is but but what angle were you thinking about I was, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it, you know, from the perspective of a open source author and maintainer mainly, because that's um, where I feel the most frustrated, I guess, with the the, the um, world of open source. As a user, you know, I, uh, it's a little different, but as a maintainer, there's, and because of the explosion of open source, mainly probably fueled by GitHub and everything that's been happening over the past couple of years... Uh, I think Kelsey Hightower actually that when you s- said that um, Kelsey Hightower, who's on the CoreOS team, tweeted yesterday about open source is I'm paraphrasing here, but open source I'm giving you free software, but that doesn't mean I'm giving you free support for that software forever. Like the idea that you know you put something out there that you worked on and you're giving doing a favor to the community to put it out there doesn't necessarily mean that I put it out there and now you can hold me responsible for everything that you do with it. And in fact, like all the open source licenses are basically phrased in that exact way. It's like, this is free software, do it as you will, but don't expect us to support or there's something scary about putting open source work out there now because I almost am hesitant to do it anymore because I feel like I don't, I'm happy to share work, but I don't want to have to, be tied to this thing that I wrote for the next, you know, n years or whatever, and that's a tough problem because it's similar to the artist problem too. Because if open source uh, maintainers and creators aren't, you know, given some kind of help and support for their the hard work that they're putting in, eventually it's going to go back to the the dark ages of you know everything being closed source and behind closed doors. You know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be want to put the energy in to support it. I was talking to um, Andre, right? So Andre Arco is working on a uh, like a kind of like a, how does he how does he, how does he describe it? Kind of like a community supported fund for open source projects called Ruby Together, which is something I was thinking about too. That project. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, he's basically taking the uh, the stance that you know, if we don't have money and infrastructure to support open source libraries, then we're basically relying on the continued, uh, you know, relying on continued free labor indefinitely, uh, and that uh, the more we ignore it, the more that that infrastructure will rot, and that you know, more and more commerce will be sort of built on top of this fragile uh, uh, foundation of people doing shit in their free time. Uh, And, 
you know, massively important projects like Ruby Gems and Bundler, you know, don't have infrastructure and giant companies that make a lot of money, many of them just don't have the, they don't have the need or desire to support them. Uh, and that is really problematic and that like, you know, companies that take a stance that, you know, we shouldn't have to pay open. I mean, I don't know if that many people are like kind of blatantly coming out and saying it, but I'm really happy to see people like Andre pursuing that um, because what it means is that someone will be on the line uh, for, for those kinds of questions. And and there was a recent project in the, the that Go dependencies, like frozen version company that, that popped up is another interesting idea where like a company is going to become responsible uh, for these things. And, you know, I think in the long run, like, you know, if you start something and it's your hobby and it turns into something really big uh, and, and companies rely on it, like have the opportunity to turn it into something that you can like make money off of and provide value for and get paid to work on it like that's a really good thing we should want people to pursue that that should be like a goal um yeah it's not selling out yeah there's nothing weird or wrong about it it's a success story like tom dale who was one of the ember creators is a pal of mine and we've talked about this a few times too where it's like making money on open source is good it means you're doing something that people find valuable and they want to pay you to do it uh and that's a really impressive thing to be able to sustain and all of us who use free software should go out of our way to make sure that the companies that we work for the companies that we own actually contribute back uh with dollars and you know and and labor like you know having developers on your team do open source stuff is is a great way of doing that i know thoughtbot does an awesome job with that um they have yeah they have 20 percent time and and pay people to work on open source projects yeah i mean the, the this came up a bunch last year with heartbleed and all the open ssl vulnerabilities because basically it, that was a story of or it's been framed a couple times as a story that where people came to that conclusion that they should actually be paying people to support this software a little too late you know it was like okay OpenSSL has been maintained by this group of overworked, underpaid people for a very long time, none of whom are being paid basically fully to work on OpenSSL and are just doing it in their nights and weekends. And oh, this software that like 99% of the internet relies on is supported by this group of volunteers um, is just kind of insane, you know? As, you know, as consumers of open source software and people who work with it every day, yeah, we have the responsibility to think about that and to support it because the people one step removed from us, the people who are just users of the internet and users of the software we create are like, are not, they're not going to think about it. They're not going to be responsible. It's really up to us as the community to, to support those ventures. It's our responsibility to make this happen or else, you know, it, it will be at our peril if we don't. I think it's important for us to have perspective about the way that we consume software, music, art, film, and like culture, because uh, the way that we consume these things has an impact on on that landscape and the attitudes that we kind of pass on 
to the next generation of people uh, of of you know our kids and and the people that are younger than us that we mentor um you know we have to we have to do a better job of being more cognizant of, of paying back to these communities uh, and the, Art and artists. And yeah, everyone the too. simplest thing you can do is be kind, but there's probably a lot more that you could do to actually make sure that we have sustainable culture and sustainable open source software. It's, it's absolutely incredible what's available. Thinking about those things not being around for our kids is just, is just is very sad to think about. Yeah, it's interesting that we yeah we have a lot of responsibility there. I would love for my son to grow up in a world where he believes that he could be an artist like i believe art is so important and that he believes he can do it and doesn't have to just use the money that i give him to be an artist like he can actually do it and the society will support him not just um not just his family you know not that that's not that there's anything wrong with that but just you know it it would be awesome to move to uh, a world where as we uh, as everyone moves more and more into like thought work and we do have more free time to work and cons- to create and consume culture that those activities are are sustainable basically on that on that note yeah well we have some uh good guests coming up soon that we have planned for recording so we're excited about that and we uh are also working heavily on the pizza book and it is uh we have a date to do uh mike is coming up to kingston and we're gonna shoot some photos and have make a a thousand pizzas and it's gonna be awesome so really looking forward to that yep uh that's gonna be dope and uh hope everyone uh enjoys a little bit more d'angelo on the way out and we'll see you next time peace